I have something special for you today. I met this woman two years ago, right after D'Angelo was arrested. She was quiet, incredibly thoughtful, and we hit it off. I call her my Sacramento bestie. Her name is Chris Pedretti. And over the course of two years, she has, she's changed. She's just changed. And the courage it took for her to start talking about her story because she was told to never talk about it. She spent upwards of 40 years, over 40 years, not talking about it, 42 years maybe. And then, and then now she's found her voice. She did an interview with me today. I am so thrilled to share it with you. And I, you know, she's changed. She's become, she's gone from survivor to advocate and she is now reaching out and working hard to help people, other people tell their story. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And then I'm going to come in on the back end and tell you how to go join this Facebook group that she's going to talk about her advocacy going on. So please enjoy and I'll talk to you on the other side. My, my very good friend, Chris Pedretti is here. She has been a vital part of uh, my healing when it comes to D'Angelo's arrest and then finding other survivors. I think anybody who knows my story knows in Ventura, we were essentially isolated. We didn't really know what happened to my dad and Charlene in, in their crime. We didn't have a lot of details until the crimes were connected to what was happening in Northern California with the East Area Rapist. Chris was number 15. Chris, I know you're going to tell us, but um, I'm going to take you off mute, make sure you can uh, talk, but you were number 15, I think, with the East Area Rapist, and but a wee child, and she's, you're going to tell us your story, but I know for me, meeting you and the, and the beautiful home you provided, the care you provided all of us, I still talk about your yard to everyone I meet, because your, your home and your yard are just Ah, the most healing place on earth. So um, everybody welcome Chris Pedretti and I'm going to let you talk now. Chris, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, thank you. Um, so actually I was number 10, not 15. 10, 10 okay. Out 10, 15, what's the difference, right? This monster still entered our home. And, um, and we still go by numbers, which is God awful to me. Yeah, actually, when we first met at the arraignment, we were all very nervous, and we didn't know each other, and so the only way we could introduce was to say, hi, I'm Chris, I was number 10, hi, I was Phyllis, I was number one, and I think we did that for the first couple of times that we met until we got to know each other, but that was the only thing that we knew about each other. So. Isn't that, isn't that, yeah, that's why I, I often refer to the Cat Winners and Keith Comos book as the Beanie Baby Handbook, because I literally would come home and like write your names by the numbers, because, uh, yeah, it was great for me, because we're just Ventura, like it wasn't, we, I mean, I guess we have a number, but I never thought about it, like it wasn't a thing. I actually still do that. If I hear of somebody or met somebody, I, I still will, because I want to be able to know not so much all the details, but how he progressed as he went through. It gives me a way to kind of understand, you know, although we were all terrorized by this man, we didn't all have the same experience. So, right. Okay. So, well, I guess um, you would ask me to talk about my experience and I'm going to just start with, um, it was the most terrifying experience um, that I could ever imagine. And I had just turned 15 uh, in September, and I 
uh, was raped on December 18th. And um, my whole world as I knew it crashed. <laughs> I just, I, um, I didn't have any reference to what was going on. I did not know I was going to be raped. I was maybe a young 15 year old, but I had no idea what was happening. So um, if you are comfortable, I can maybe go into a little bit of the story of exactly what happened. Okay. Yeah, and I want to make sure people understand, you may have heard Chris on Man in the Window, Paige St. John's fantastic podcast series, which you should listen to if you have it. But honestly, the idea of your home prior, like you lived in this home where it was sweet and innocent and you were a church girl, as one might think of it, right? It, it was a very, you were very protected. You weren't some... You weren't a brat like me who was out making out trouble. You were a good, good kid who didn't know about a lot of adult world. No, I didn't. And I actually had been in a Christian school and in eighth grade, I thought, okay, so now it's time for me to go out and share my goodwill and, you know, be a testimony to others, unknowing that in three months, you know, that was that was not what I wanted. You know, I prayed, Hey, I'm ready for whatever you want. I'm ready for this. And, um, I don't think I've been to church since. So still working through that part, but anyways, um, so I was, uh, at home and I was supposed to go to a Christmas dance that night and my parents were going to a Christmas party and my sister was at work. Um, here's a flashback who remembers Montgomery wards. I do, I do. <laughs> that will tell your age. <laughs> Anyways, that's where she worked. And uh, she was off work at 9 o'clock. They left like at 6 o'clock. So no big deal. And my friend Lori came over. We were, you know, hanging out, doing what 15-year-olds do, probably talking about boys or whatever. And her mom called and said that she had to come home and make Christmas cookies. And so she left. No big deal. Yeah, call me after you're done or, you know, we'll get back together. And so I put a pizza in the oven and I decided not oh, I'll play the piano, I'll practice. And as soon as I sat down and I started playing, I heard a noise and um, I stopped and I listened and I thought, hmm, you know, I always hear noises when no one's home. So I continued to play. And it was very shortly after that, maybe seconds, that um, uh, uh, a man came around and held a knife to my throat and whispered very close and rough in my ear, you know, if you, if you scream, if you move, I'll kill you. And I will tell you at that point, I froze, um, literally froze. I felt like, you know, I wasn't cold obviously, but it was like froze with a, with a, a stab of fear going through my body. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah, just like that cold, that, that, yeah, I think I, I mean, I, I'm getting shivers right now listening to you tell it, but yeah, of course you froze. Of course you did. Right. And, but I could still hear him. And I think that, um, you know, at that point, I really felt almost like a robot. You know, I followed directions. I had, I didn't have feelings. Um, that one big thing of fear that went through me, that was it. And after that, I just followed directions. And um, 
and it's interesting because in my uh, therapy that we'll talk about later, uh, we do a lot of tools like brain spotting or EMDR, and I still can't get past the piano bench, you know, in, in really living it because I think that my body just went into complete protective mode. Okay. And I'm going to tell people I've got a blog on brain spotting that I'll link to in, in this blog because that's it's such an important way to try to go back to those times. But to hear you say you can't get past it because I've done brain spotting and there are certain areas where I'm like, nope, not going. I just know it's not happening. Like I will not go any further. Thank you. So I can understand that what that's like when you're just like, oh, I can't do it. Well, I literally can't do it. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to. I yeah. mean, it would be, but my body just, uh, I, the way she explained it is, you know what, your, your brain protects you for a reason. And if it's continuing to protect you, don't fight it. Don't fight. Okay, good. When it's ready. It's ready. So I'm like down with that. I'm <laughs> like, good. Okay. Um, so, and I know that most of you probably know his, his MO, you know, so I won't tell you how, I won't tell you every time he told me he was going to heal me. I'm going to guess it was probably 25, 30 times throughout that hour and a half. Um, so from there, I know that I was taken into the utility room and he tied my hands. Interesting with my sister's shoelaces. Obviously I didn't know that then, but, um, and then pushed me through the garage, through the backyard. Um, and as I was walking along the, um, the, the stepping stones, I actually fell. He pushed me and I fell. And uh, he helped me up and asked me if I was okay. Very interesting. How yeah. we, like, because I'm imagining, I think it's really important because I'm looking at an adult, but the thing is, like, I'm imagining a 15-year-old girl. So you're young, really young. And now he's taking you outside you're being told repeatedly he's going to kill you your hands are bound in front of you or behind you behind so you fall down you fall down landing on your body then yes and he, and then he says are you okay yes okay and, <laughs> and when that happened my blindfold slipped off a little bit and i was terrified and so I told him, because I wasn't gagged yet, you know, um, my blindfold, you know, is off. And um, I kept my eyes really shut tight. <laughs> I, I just, you know, anyways, he put it back on and told me if I'd seen him, you know, the word, I'm going to kill you. So from there, um, he took me to the picnic bench. And remember, it's December 18th, so it's kind of cold outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he, um, I don't exactly remember how this went, but I know he cut off my shirt and my bra, and then, I don't know, somehow my pants came off, I'm not sure. Right. And, uh, and then he threw them in the neighbor's yards. <sighs> Strange. And, uh, and it's huh? cold, it's cold, because you're up here in Northern California, right? So I was naked, basically, and he left me there in the backyard as he went back into the house and said he'd be checking on me every 10 seconds. So he spent a lot of time in the house, and I spent a lot of time in the backyard. And when he was uh, ready to rape me, he would come get me, and he brought me to uh, 
This one I remember, the other two I don't. It was a total of three times, but he, he actually went me on my parents' bed. And that was very weird. And this is gonna sound uh, funny for all of you that were older at the time, but I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> well, no, I mean, okay, so I, I kind of knew that because I know you and I know your childhood, but yeah, you wouldn't have known what he was doing. I mean, no. no. It, and he just, yeah, it was very strange. Um, and then he would take me back outside and then take me back inside, break me again, take me outside. And then the third time he did leave me in there, but it was very, um, uh, it, it was very strange because I knew the way my living room furniture was uh -huh. and he had lit the fireplace. It wasn't lit before. And, um, and then he laid me next to it. Well, I know the couch isn't near the fireplace. Right. So I, I thought he had caught the couch on fire. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, and that I was going to um, die. So I didn't die, and it did. I, I finally figured it out. Um, and and he, you said he did end up gagging you at some point? Oh, yeah, in the backyard, yeah. I got gagged, um, every, you know. So he, so he cared that you fell and are you okay but yeah. sitting out there cold and then cold and then cold as he did this weird circus act of bringing you in and out and in and out because he's a freak yeah it's just like this bizarre terrorism and yet that weird are you okay that that was that's the part that throws me is the are you okay because everything else fits his brutality Actually, I've heard on others that he has done, I don't want to say acts of kindness because he's not capable of that, but he does throw in some uh, sentiments that you would not expect from him. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you're a kid, and you, I know, first of all, even being in my parents' room, like, even being on my parents' bed would have been, without them there, would have been like, uh, kind of a... Right. Kind of a don't do that. So, yeah, you must have had, I mean, it's no wonder the feelings you must have had of both what you knew to be normal and now you're breaking those rules of the house. And then right. your terror of being killed. And was he wearing the stocking cap? Could you tell? Or was he not I, covered? Um, remember at that moment, I was just somewhere else. I have no idea. Okay, so when he came up, you just heard him talking to you at the piano. In my ear. Um, you know, well, when I read the police report, I did say, and I don't remember what it was, what color uh, jacket he was wearing and ski mask. So oh, Interesting. Okay. Because, yeah, you would have maybe maybe peripherally seen something, but I get it. Yeah. After that, I understand compliance, compliance, compliance. Because you just, first of all, that's who you were as a kid. You were taught to be compliant. And second of all, yeah, this, this is happening in Really, they tell you the number one thing in any of these situations is to survive. Survive first. Yeah. Which clearly your 15-year-old brain did. But to think that the house was on fire, the couch was on fire, yeah, I would have lost he, it. He did not mean that. I think that he did that as I learned later, way later, after he was arrested and I started reading books, uh, you know, that he liked that, that glow of the light. You know, oh, nice for him. Yeah, you know how he covered TVs, so I'm sure that's why he moved the couch, so he'd have a better view. But um, you know, I didn't know that then. 
And he was with, you said 90 minutes. This happened for a, the period of 90 minutes? Oh, or no? It was a couple hours. A couple hours, okay. Yeah. Um, where was every, nobody came home? Like, No, because my parents had just left, and it yeah. was like seven, and then he was gone, and then my sister was off work by nine. So, uh, you know, it could have been an hour and a half to two hours. I don't know. Right. I, I don't remember. But I do know that I... Uh, like we said, I was very Christian based then. And I remember seeing Jesus loves me in my head <laughs> to try to get the time just to move on. Um, I did try to move a couple of times. The first time he was right there. Like I, and I've heard this of other cases. He must just be there. Watch, at you. Watching you. Just Yeah. So gross. That's and, gross. I know it's almost grosser. I mean, it's like, oh, because it's so, you're so helpless. You're so not in control and he's just a hundred percent there. Yeah. So, <sighs> so again, he told me he'd kill me if I moved again. I probably waited another 10 minutes, 15, and I tried it again. He was still there. And then I probably waited maybe a half hour or so. And uh, and then I thought, I don't care if I die. Like this is terror. This is just honestly at that moment I was ready to accept death. I remember that. Like, I don't care. I can't do this anymore. And uh, yeah, as you lay in the living room and you were worried about fire, but you, I guess you figured out it wasn't getting hotter, right? Like, okay. And then does your sister come home or what happens? No, not yet. Um, when, oh. when he, uh, that third time I said, I don't care what's going to happen. Well, thankfully he was gone. So I was able to, get up somehow and hop and, and you know this is where i think when you are in a position of uh i don't know emergency your brain does take over i hopped over to make sure the door was unlocked so somebody could come in and then i figured out how to use the phone i just how i did that because i was tied and everything but i did um and i did not call the police that thought never came to my mind i called my best friend and Today, it makes me chuckle a little bit because when her sister answered the phone, I said, hi, is Lori there? Oh, my you God. <laughs> of course. But I mean, you're 15, right? Like, that's. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And then Lori got on the line. I said, get a knife. I've been raped and bring your dad. And uh, their whole family came over and I'm standing there still tied and naked. And uh, they untied me and uh they called the police and then from there um my sister was called and told to come home but they were closing so it must have been like 8 45 or something like that so and they then, stayed with you i i so it's so funny how my brain filled in like they got blankets they hugged you they held you, like whatever that needed to be yes. thank god okay and they were just horrified like they just had to you know this doesn't happen, right? Well, no, and if they're like most parents, you feel like their daughter too, so they're just, yeah, yeah, I'm sure just beside themselves. Yeah. And then, and then, and then this whole other world starts of law enforcement that I know so well, law, police, and reports, and this weird thing. Did, did you, you didn't meet Carol Daly when you no. were a victim. She hadn't really started yet, right? She did. She, she did. Okay. And when I met her, it was funny because I said, you know, 
I don't remember meeting you. You don't look familiar to me. And she said, I don't remember meeting you either. She said, I don't know where I was. So it's Christmas. Maybe she was on vacation. You know, who knows? But uh, I do know her now. And that's, she's a godsend. She's, so, I know you two, you two are the, the, the good duo. I love the both of you. It just, you've, you've done so much together. There's, you guys were supposed to meet, whatever that is, it was supposed to happen, the two of you. Exactly. So uh, anyway, so then the police came, uh, my parents came later and um, I did not see them at all until it was time to go to the hospital. And uh, apparently my living room was full of people, but it was me. I told them I did not want to see them. And uh, so when I went to the hospital, you know, back then we weren't given priority. So I think we probably waited there two hours, three hours. Oh my God. And we didn't talk on the way there. We didn't talk there um, when I had the, uh, what do you call that? The rape? Rape kit? The rape, rape kit? Right. Um, so when you say we, you and your parents didn't talk. Me and my parents and my sister. We were all there and no one spoke. Just yeah. silence. Silence. I did the rape kit by myself. My mom did not go in with me. And, um, and then we went home, no one spoke, which started the whole thing of silence for me and my family. Which became, rap. the silence, I mean, to me, the big theme of your story and, and some of why you're doing the work that you're doing now, mm -hmm. which we'll get to, is that silence really was the, the story of your family. Just everything. Yeah. You Up until my parents died, we didn't talk about it. So their 15-year-old is, to me, wounded. It, even though you couldn't see the, the external scars, just broken from this experience, forced to have an experience she wasn't even prepared for, even as an adult, because you didn't even know about all that stuff and what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> and God forbid they're going to talk about bodies or anything. Yeah, how, you know, God, we don't want to talk about sex on top of everything else, which this wasn't sex, but it's a sexual act, right? So. Yeah. And, and you're just left with silence. For how long did this last? Well, the next day, um, my sister was had to work, and my dad uh, told her to call in sick and to tell nobody. And then the next day after that, I went to church camp and acted like nothing happened. And then, um, you know, five days later, it was Christmas. And we just had a normal Christmas, and... It lasted forever. We we never talked about it. We did move, um, but not given a reason why we were moving. I mean, obviously, I know that now, but we moved, and uh, yeah, I silence was there. And from then on, you know, you talked about you being a bratty kid. Well, I caught up. Okay. <laughs> I found I found coping mechanisms that were not very. Uh, you know, healthy. Um, I went back to the Christian, I, I left the high school I was at because he said he saw me there. I went back to. Oh, that just, yeah, that I, yeah, that creep factor, that, that fact that he kept track of his people. He stalked people ahead of time. He kept track of you afterwards. He called some victims afterwards. Yeah, that, and you, 
were you reading anything in the paper yet about, did you know you were East Area Rapist yet? Because you're just number no. 10, so it's really early in this. Yeah, I, I don't think they publicize it till number five. Okay. And, um, but, you know, going back to where you were saying how they call people and whatnot, it's interesting, it's just my own theory, but uh, he never went in my room. He went in my sister's room and took her shoelaces, and he took a picture of her friend and her necklace. Um, nothing of mine. My picture was moved off the wall. But uh, years later, 10, 15 years later, Robin got, that's my sister, got a uh, uh, obscene call in the middle of the night. And I just always wondered, did he think I was her? I mean, his, yeah, his well, were not mine. And you guys aren't that many years apart, right? Two and a half. Yeah. Okay. So easy, easy mis yeah. mistake. Yeah. Plus then your sister has to live with that guilt too. Oh my God. Yeah. Robin, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> none of us. This is on none of, none of the victims. Not a, no. And, and I know Robin's there for you. So yes. She is. So, Absolutely. so yeah, you know, my years, I, uh, I lived like it didn't happen. Um, I never thought PTSD would be something that I would have. I just thought it was people coming back from war. But, you know, now that I look back, I can totally see my behaviors. I've had, uh, I'm on my third marriage, a very happy marriage. My first two weren't. Um, I just, uh, I would quit a job. One time I was um, on a conference call. My dad had just died and I was kind of stressed. And they, I don't know, they said something that I didn't like. And I put that phone on hold and I walked out and I never came back. And wow. yeah, I, and I had a few instances like that, which I didn't understand why I did this stuff. I just did it. But after more therapy, I understood like, yeah, we got to work on those coping skills. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, so, okay. So we go, we go I'm pretending like same, same 38 to 40 years that, right. you know, we've all had this weird journey and things unwind and it was this, this crazy road we've all been on, but there have been moments Did your, did your parents ever get it? Did they ever come no. back to you and, and ever say, I'm sorry, we kind of screwed that up or. Never a word. And crazy as it sounds, me and my sister never spoke about it until after he was caught. It was really ingrained into us that this is not to be spoken of. So. And could you talk about it at your best friend's house? No. Okay. And my friend kept coming. My best friend stopped coming to my house. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of one of those irrational fears, right? It happened there. So. You gotta stay yeah. away. It's moved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So okay. So we come to today to, to the new world that all of us changed since 2018 and the rest of Diamond. But in the two years I've known you, I've watched you change a ton. Yeah. From not so much from the good girl, because I know that sass was there, but but the um more introverted woman to the more, hey, I own this and I'm going to start to speak up woman. Right. Which has led you to some new purpose in your life, right? 
Tell us about that. So what are you doing now? So right now, um, I had this, since it happened, maybe, you know, a couple months after I was like, okay, I, I can now talk about this and I can be the first person to relate what it's like to hold something in. You know, it's not just, you don't talk about it. It's there and it's, in there and you find ways to work around it and if you're lucky it's a day that you don't think about it um or like myself you develop these crazy things that helps you not think about it like i had to be busy all the time that's why i have that yard i have there is no time that i would sit down still um and and it's not it's not a good i mean the results really pretty but you know, you're just always spinning. And so I felt like I understand there's so many people that have experiences, you know, and, and sexual assault is not just this stranger danger thing, you know, like it can be your sibling, it can be your neighbor, it can be a teacher that you trusted, you know, sexual assault. I, I just, the more I learn, the more I'm horrified, like there's just no boundaries, you know? And, and I thought, I get it. I get the shame, which I never thought I had. I remember the first time I saw my therapist, I told her I have no shame, but apparently I had shame, right? Because I was taught not to talk about it and the feeling that people are going to look at you differently if you talk about it. Or, um, if I start to say something to you, Jen, and you, your eyes, look up or you look uncomfortable or you shift, I'm going to drop it right there. We're done because I know that you're not going to like me anymore. So, um, so with that said, I, I really wanted to do something. So I thought, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I'm going to do this great thing. Well, that's really hard to do. And I'm not really equipped to do that. So I kind of like scaled it back down and back down. And I ended up, which was perfect timing with this COVID-19, um, is starting a face group. Uh, for people of uh, sexual assault. So it's called Sexual Assault Survivors. It's time to tell your story. It's and a, it's a private group. So I'm, it's, private. I'm absolutely going to have this in the blog so people can join your group and get okay. support. Um, but it is a private group. And Chris takes a look at who's trying to come in and, you know, what this and what the story is. So, yeah. so folks know that. Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, it's really healing for me and it's healing for them because I know, like I just said, I know how scary it is to say it. I mean, I was uh, terrified when, and I'm going to go backwards a little bit if that's okay. Yeah. I was terrified when he was caught because, well, first I had myself convinced it didn't happen. And then if it did, those times when reality came in, uh, I knew he was dead. And so here I am in LA in a hotel on a work business trip. And, you know, I, I get that call from Carol Daly and I'm just frozen again. And, you know, my husband offered to fly out to get me because I was back the case and I cried all the way home on the airplane. I feel so sorry for those people around me. <laughs> no, it, well, it was, it was really, it was a knockover that arrest disrupted me more than I expected. And I don't have a body memory. I always say that I don't have a body memory. I just have a tragedy. But I know how much it my life has not been the same since it just hasn't right. yours either, right? It just an arrest changed. Things. 
And and as a funny, uh, tell me if I'm going on too long, but just, you know, my mom had passed away and she was, um, other than never accepting what happened, she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And she, I just loved her so much. And um, it was 2017, late 2017, the, the Me Too thing was going. And I told somebody, because they were talking about it, and I was like, well, I am a me too. So me too. <laughs> Wasn't very graceful. I just blurted it out. And uh, then when I came back in February, uh, my husband saw a newspaper. And in there was a story he thought I should read. And um, he said, hey, I think there's something you should read. I was like, yeah, he loves the newspaper. I love the internet. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Just, okay. And then later he went out and he actually got it out of the trash can. And he said, no, I just really think you should read this. Like, okay, I'll do it later. And then it was like curiosity kills the cat, right? But satisfaction brings it back. So I had to pick it up. And here was a picture of Jane Carson Sandler. Huge picture of her telling her whole story on the paper. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you're not supposed to talk about this. <laughs> you know, my rules were, you don't talk about this. And here you are published in a paper. And I, I, I can still feel the shock, like shame on you. You shouldn't be doing this because I thought that was the rule for everybody, not just me. And, um, so anyways, after I calmed down, I called the editor and asked her to give me a call and she did. And, uh, so now we're in the uh, end of February, maybe. And she called me and she talked about the books. I said, what book? I know. <laughs> I didn't know either. Like, there's books. <laughs> what are you talking about? And she said, "Do you want me to read you your story?" I was like, "Okay." And that probably wasn't the smartest thing for me to say. So I'm on the other lines or on the other end. Steve's at work, and she's reading me all about what happened to me. And I'm like, "Ah, wow!" And you know, I asked for it. I mean, it was short. I don't know what book it was in, but no, I just. It's to be, I've had the same experience when I've discovered these books and then read a story about my own life where I'm like, uh, how'd that happen? How are you telling my story when like weird? And how come I didn't know it was there? So anyway, so at the end of that conversation, she said, you know, uh, Margaret Wardlow is, she was more your age. You might have more things in common with her. So she called Margaret and asked Margaret to call me. Now we're mid-March, kind of, and um, or maybe later. And so then Margaret calls me, and she said, oh, wasn't Carol Daly an angel? She was so great. I said, I don't know her. She goes, well, I'm going to call her. And so, um, and Carol came over, and that's when wow. I said, I don't know you. And she said, I don't know you either. But she brought my police report my husband and my sister were there and she says i i don't know what else i'm here to do i just want you to know i i'm sorry this happened and i'm here for you and um so she left and i read that police report out loud to my sister and my husband very emotional because remember robin and i haven't we've never talked about it you've never your sister this is the hard one for me because it's like I thought that's why people had sisters. I don't have a sister. I'm like, aren't this what sister's for? But you weren't talking about it. No, because we were banned from talking about it. So 
after I read the report, tears and everything, Robin's like, oh my God, that really happened. I thought that they made that up. I read something like that on the internet. So she was looking at it, but she just knew not to talk to me about it. Three weeks later, he was caught. That is like my mom preparing me. You know, I was like, well, I don't even know what I would have done. I thought he was dead. I didn't think he was around. And if I had got that call without having that three week before experience where Steve knew what happened, my sister knew what happened, we were all on the same page. I had already told my kids, you know, I had called oh, them. Yeah, kids. I forgot. Time. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I told them in that three week period. And so, um, the day he was caught, I wasn't so off guard. And that's why I said that that timeline I wanted to share is just so amazing. And uh, I don't I don't know what I would have done. No, I know it's it's interesting because I had the story last week where Deb's Deb Domingo's mom clearly moved heaven and earth to make sure she got a message through just a guest on this podcast. And now here we are. You have another one where a mom has come through from wherever and got the ball rolling. And, and what I think is so beautiful about the story is that this time with the arrest, your whole family was ready to talk. Like they, they were there and they weren't afraid to talk about it. And your kids and the whole thing, like, no, we're all going to do this together now. Yeah. What I don't I even think I would have done had I been told that. And now I also have to tell my kids because I'm going through all this, you know, stuff. So anyway, so back to the, the site that we wanted to talk about. Um, I just feel like, you know, my heart wants to open um, for people that want to share. It's for the right reasons. And um, I do want to say I think that I, I, I want people to come join my site, but that is not therapy. Um, right. Okay. You know, because each experience is our own and, and you really need a trauma therapist to help you through and to help you find out you know, what your next steps need to be and to help guide you so that you don't go too far too fast. And um, I went every single week for a year and a half and I'm in a really good spot now, which I feel through it's time to tell your story. I don't feel you're able to become free until you can tell your story. And it is scary as hell. You are so afraid to tell it. And after it's out, the world didn't crash down. It's still turning, you know, you're still going to make dinner. You're still going to go to bed that night. Everything's going to be the same, except now you've got a safe place. And um, right after, you know, when I met the survivors, uh, some of us we would be on the phone for two hours talking about stuff like they were crazy, like really detailing, but we just needed to work through it. And I, she knew I would be there. I knew she would be there. And we were not, um, we weren't guarded and the other survivors. And I know, I think you wanted to talk about that, like were a life saver and they, it was just amazing. I think that's, you know, I, I, I've heard where you need that we've found each other and that we support each other and anybody who hasn't joined the group yet should the survivors mm -hmm. of D'Angelo. But the thing is that it, it really is, it, it's hard to put into words, but it's, you really find out that you're so capable and that this stuff that really when it's all peeled back, all we have is each other and this heart connect is everything. And, and you are so good. I mean, I listen to you all the time because 
your ability to empathize is extraordinary. I can get it and I get it intellectually, but I often watch you for cues because you really read the room very well. And also, you're very good at knowing when somebody else's voice needs to be heard. And while I'll advocate for that, the extrovert in me sometimes won't shut up. So I <laughs> absolutely look to you for clues because you, you, you see the people who often are used to being unseen. Right. Yeah. That's a gift you have. You, you absolutely see those who may not have been heard. I mean, Margaret, Jane, and I are always going to be talking because that's what we're good at, right? But the, there's a whole bunch of people, and, and you know, we have one of our victims who's really isolated now, and she's a little strung out. And so, yeah, take we need to be quiet and listen to her because it's just she's just processing differently, and she's had a rough go of it. So right. you're so good at hearing the, hearing the voice of someone who can't speak. Thank you. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I think I'm really good at that because I was the person who couldn't speak and, and I and I got it. And, you know, when they were all at my house that first time, you remember yeah. that, and we were all standing together. Um, I remember it, it was a very surreal, not in a good way moment. He was in her house and her house and her house and her house. In her house. I mean, I can keep going. And he yeah. fucked up. Might say that. Sorry. Yeah. Her life. Sorry about that. Her life and her life and her life. And he killed her parents. Her parents. And just to be surrounded by one fifth of the people was overwhelming. Right. It was like wow, this guy. This guy. Right. That, that's all I can say. This guy. And that's important because we are only a percentage that have come together. There's all the ransackings in Visalia. I mean, that's in somebody's home. Just that, you're, you're right. That, I mean, I get chills again, but the idea of this man in your home, just so many homes and so much damage. And it's true. When I look at him in court, I just look and go, he doesn't look like the monster that he is. He I, I just so needed him to look like some kind of god awful Lucifer looking thing, and instead, he's just this gross, despicable looking man. But yeah, he was in all these homes, and and young people, and older people, and murder, and rape, and everything in between. He did, by the way, anybody wondering? Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of other crimes he did in between. Everything you could imagine, he did it. Yeah, but you know. It's at that same time where I'm just like, is this, you know, almost looks like I was looking into another life. Uh, this, how is this possible that all these people are in my backyard? <laughs> like that, oh my, people I never thought I would ever see in my entire life that I'd be taken to this grave are standing in front of me. But those women, you included, standing in front of me, we survived and we're strong and we're capable and we're successful. And this is a very, very dark shadow in our life, but our life didn't stop. You know, we kept on moving and, you know, for yourself and Deb Domingo and others whose parents or loved ones were murdered, you know, you're their representative and, and you are walking forward for them. And so therefore they are still living also through you. And, um, I don't know. The experience was horrifying and terrible. And if I could make it not happen, I would. 
but it did happen. And so now is the time to make the best of the experience and, and move forward. So I want to, I, I am part of the group and I want to in, um, encourage people who are looking for a way to just start to talk. Chris, Chris's um, guidance and facilitation and advocacy in that group is everything. You will find your people. It's the sexual assault survivors. It's time to tell your story on Facebook. I will have a link in the blog. I want to make sure people know how to reach out to you. But this, I, Chris, you know, from a woman who didn't talk about it, I, I can't tell you how proud I am that you're like on video and telling your story right now. And it's just this evolution of you that I've had the privilege to see in the past 24 months. So, so congratulations, girl. And just one more thing on the site. You don't have to be a, a victim of sexual assault. You could be a sibling. You could be someone that was in that community and was afraid. You can be anybody who wants to be supportive of others and, and would like to get some kind of support because it is, we all know this, it's not just the assault victims that are victims. It is right. when they've touched, it's their community. It's, you know, it's our children. It's, I don't know. I'm just amazed at, at how big sexual assault is being that we're supposed to be so progressive and knowing what's right and wrong. And we say, well, that was the seventies. Well, it really hasn't changed. We just hide it better. Yeah. And actually with more folks um, staying at home, we know the chance of abuse is increased, which is yep. awful. Uh, people are alone. People don't have the normal societal protections they have in place. So we all need to take care of each other. Look for signs that if somebody's in trouble, we probably, we should probably have a way that we could have, you know, I know in Europe, they're doing a thing where you can make a phone call and that means you need help, but it's a, it's a code word. I don't know if we have one in the United States, but yeah, really look out for each other. And I love that the, the site is also for allies because don't come in and, and blame. You come in to understand and support and be there for one another. That's what it is. You are not to blame. In right. no way does anyone ever ask to be hurt. It's just, that doesn't happen. Okay, Chris, we don't have questions today. I'm so happy you're here. I want to stop here because I feel like this is such a good place to stop. But I, I, I just, I, I'm just delighted. Like, we didn't even know each other two years ago, and here we are. Uh, and mostly missing you because you're just around the corner, and I can't get there because of this uh, shelter in place. But soon, soon, I hope we'll be together again. And we still have a court case, I hope, that we'll be able to pursue, provided our perpetrator doesn't die from the virus. So, yeah. If we've ever prayed for yeah. someone to live. Yeah. yeah. No, it's so weird. We're in a weird position now. Yeah. So I would like to thank everybody for coming today. I'd like to thank you, Chris, for being here. And I'll see everybody tomorrow on the show. What a woman, right? You can see why I love her. It's she and Carol Daly who have who did such a good job of taking care of us, letting us come hang out with them, letting us be together so that we could all begin this interesting journey of the last two years. I'm so happy you have a chance to have heard from Chris directly. She's also was in the um, the Page St. John, I think I mentioned this, but um, Man in the Window podcast, you hear Chris there, but she tells much more of their story here and it's incredible. Now, please tell people, um, share, you can share it, you can get it off of my Facebook page, whatever you need to do, but the, the private group is called Sexual Assault Survivors with an exclamation point. It's time to tell your story. 
and it's a picture of sunflowers and a little post-it note that says it's time to tell your story. So that's how you find it on Facebook. You just essentially ask to join and then Chris will screen you and then let you in. This doesn't have to be, as she said, it's not exclusively for survivors. It's for anybody who is an ally or who wants to help someone who's surviving, help someone who isn't talking. That's what you can do here is start to get help. And Chris, I got to say, I can't say enough good stuff about Chris, right? She's my Sacramento bestie. All right, guys, I've also put a note into Cheryl Temple down in Ventura to get some of these documents I need to share with you before we go back in court. We're supposed to go this month, but they've been very quiet about what that calendar looks like. So I hope to hear back from Cheryl soon. I want to dig into the motion to dismiss, and I also want to dig into the demurrer. And I've asked her also if the prosecution has pulled together a response to both of those. So I'm standing by to hear that. If I don't hear from Cheryl tomorrow, um, I'm going to go ahead and dig into our preliminary hearing that happened down in Ventura. It's just more history, um, but I, I want to really get to the contemporary stuff. I'm just needing some documents. So that's that's been the delay. Anyway, hearing from Chris is everything. I, it's just made my day, and I'm so happy to share this with you. Until next time.